As we start our message today, I want you to try and think of an image or a moment or an experience that you've had, which you would say helps you to capture this idea of peace. Okay, so I want you to try and think of something. I'm going to give you a few ideas. I did some searching through some of my photos to try and come up with a few ideas. So for me, uh, as I mentioned, the beach is obviously a huge place of peace. And so this is from a couple of weeks ago, that Sunday that we had two weeks ago where it was blisteringly hot. And so after dinner, we went down the beach with the dog. It was beautiful. It was calm, sunset. There was lots of people around. Always for me, the beach is a place of peace. Often also go for walks down along Linear Park, and so this is another picture. So uh, this was from a few months ago, walking along Linear Park on one of those uh, mornings where it's completely still. There's barely any breeze whatsoever, and so you can see the reflection of the trees in the river, and you can hear the birds singing. Again, just this beautiful place of peace. I found a third photo, which sums up peace to me as well. So this is our dog, Brady. Take you a little while to work out exactly what's going on there. So uh, when Brady is really, really sleepy, he lies on his back, paws over like this, head back, and just completely zonked to the world. And so that absolutely is also a picture of peace for me as well. And so I hope that you can think of an image of peace or a moment of peace or an experience that you've had that you would say articulates what peace is like. Now I want you to try and hold on to that as we go through today's message. We're wrapping up this series today, which is called Great Expectations, which has taken us through the last few weeks as we've made our way through Advent. And we've been talking about how Christmas is the recognition of the arrival of this newborn king, that Jesus comes to us as a king who comes to establish a new kingdom. And through that, we've then focused on the four Advent themes that we've talked about, hope, love, joy, and then today, peace recognising that Jesus comes to establish a kingdom that is filled with all four of those things. And so we have talked about the first week how we can understand God's kingdom as being like God's dream, God's dream for humanity, God's dream for what life is supposed to be like for us that then gives us a sense of hope in the present but also a sense of hope for the future. When we talked about love, we looked at the parable of the prodigal son And we unpacked what this extravagant, amazing love is that the father has for both of his sons and what it means for us to experience family, to experience forgiveness, to experience restoration, to experience love in all of its fullness. Then last week, we talked about Jesus' parable of the great feast, that we're all invited to this feast where there's equality, where there's not a sense of obligation about having to do something in return, but just a genuine invitation to be able to come and to be able to eat and celebrate together. And so that brings a sense of joy to us. And so if you've missed any of those and you want to recap them, don't forget you can listen to all of our messages on our website, Facebook page, uh, or our podcast. And so today as we wrap up, we're going to have a look at another one of these parables that Jesus tells. Parables, of course, being these stories that Jesus used uh, that were really amazing stories in their own right, but had all of this underlying meaning in them. That the more that we dig into them, the more that we realise there's a lot to unpack. And so today we're going to explore the Advent theme of peace as we look at the parable of the mustard seed. So the context for this parable that we're looking at is Matthew chapter 13. And so at the beginning of Matthew 13, uh, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And we're not going to dig into that in detail today. I want to encourage you to go and to read that during the week. But the parable is basically that there's a farmer who goes out and scatters seed everywhere. 
Some of it falls on a path, and so it ends up getting eaten by birds. Some of it falls into some rocky ground, and so it just starts to sink its roots down, but then ends up withering because it doesn't have enough moisture. Some of it ends up being scattered where there's some weeds, and so it starts to grow, but the weeds end up destroying them. And some of it falls into good soil where it grows and is super, super healthy. And so Jesus shares this parable with the people who are listening, and then he's asked this question. Jesus, why is it that you use parables to teach people? And the question behind the question from this person is really, why don't you just tell us what we're supposed to do? Why do you have to use these fancy stories that are so complicated and we have to do some thinking? Why can't you just tell us what it is that we have to do, then we'll know what we have to do, and then we can go about our way? And it's a really important thing to recognise about Jesus' teaching that in some ways it can be frustrating at times. Sometimes we have some real clarity about what Jesus has to say. So particularly Matthew chapters 5, 6 and 7, which is what's called the Sermon on the Mount, that is the core of Jesus' teaching. And that really unpacks a whole bunch of the things that Jesus came to share with us. But the majority of the time, particularly when people come to Jesus and ask him questions, he either responds with another question or he responds with a parable. He doesn't just give simple pat answers. He doesn't just give the rules. This is what you have to do. Jesus wants us to learn how to think for ourselves, how to work through things. And not just to be told, this is what you have to do and this is what you shouldn't do but to be able to work behind that and to understand the why in the decisions that we make, to operate based on values rather than just a set of rules. And so Jesus then says in Matthew 13, verse 11, the knowledge about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. He's talking to his disciples as opposed to the other people who were around. For the person who has something will be given more so that he will have more than enough. But the person has nothing will have taken away from him even the little that he has. The reason I use parables in talking to them is that they look but don't see, and they listen but don't hear or understand. There's a fair bit that we need to unpack from what Jesus says here because it's easy to misinterpret some of what he's saying. So Jesus says the knowledge about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And so we can kind of, when we project that in, when we think about a secret, we often think that a secret is something that's told to some people and then nobody else finds out about it, which seems a little bit harsh that Jesus is saying, well, disciples, I'm telling you, but don't tell anyone else. Just keep it to yourselves and we won't tell any of the rest of the people. Other translations talk about something that's concealed. And so we can think about the same thing, that Jesus is kind of like, we're going to hide this from everyone else. We'll hold it over here. You guys can have a look. Quick, have a peek. And then no one else is allowed to see what's there. But other translations use the word mystery. And I think that's probably the most helpful one for us to be able to understand. Because when we think about a mystery story, or when we think about a mystery movie, we think about wrestling with that as we go. That as we read the story, we're trying to engage with it. We're trying to work out what's going on. We're trying to work out who done it. Or if we're watching a movie, the same thing. A good movie, we're engaging with it. We're trying to work out what's happening behind the scenes with it. And that's what Jesus is really saying to his disciples. That you have been given the opportunity to be able to understand more about what's going on behind the scenes. You're the people who are wrestling with what it is that I've got to say. The other people can't be bothered with that. They just want the rules. But you're the people who are really trying to work this stuff through. 
And so when Jesus then says something that seems a little bit harsh in verse 12, the person who has something will be given more so that he'll have more than enough, but the person who has nothing will have taken away from him even the little that he has. This has been used and abused in some streams of the church where they've said, see, this is the proof that you should try and get as much as you possibly can because the people who have are going to get even more. And if you don't have very much, even that's going to get taken away. It's not at all what Jesus is trying to say here. What he's trying to say is that if we keep searching, if we keep exploring, if we keep wrestling with this stuff, it becomes something that just opens up and opens up and opens up. And for those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, we know that that's true. The more that we dig into Jesus' teaching, the more that we understand about his parables, the more that we understand about what he came to do, the more implications that we discover. That's why we talk about discipleship as taking our next steps in our walk with Jesus. But that's a lifetime journey that we go on. Discipleship, following Jesus, is not just about do the course for six weeks and then get your certificate, congratulations, now you graduate as a disciple. Discipleship is the lifelong journey of us saying, Jesus, what are you saying to me now? And the more that I unpack that, the more that I understand that, the more I discover there's even more to open up. And the more that I explore that, the more I discover there's even more on the other side of that. So what Jesus is saying is when you start having that mindset, when you start digging, you discover that there's so much more to discover. The more you explore, the more you find. But if you just want simple answers, if you just want the rules, you'll probably find that that doesn't actually end up satisfying. And far from giving a sense of life to us, when we just get simple answers, when we just get told this is what you have to do and don't do, we often find that that takes life from us rather than giving us more and more life. So Jesus then goes on to explain the parable of the sower. And so, as I said, I encourage you to read the parable and then Jesus' explanation of that during the week. And then Jesus tells another parable, which is called the parable of the weeds, which is a very simple parable where there's an enemy who comes along and sows a whole bunch of weed seed into a farmer's crop. And so the servants come and say to the farmer, do you want us to pull out all of the weeds? And the farmer says, no, just leave it and let's let it all grow up and then we'll see which is which. Because if you start pulling weeds out now, you might accidentally pull out some of the wheat that's there. And behind the scenes of what Jesus is saying in this parable is this idea that the weeds and the wheat actually look very, very similar initially. It's not until the fruit comes out at the top of the wheat that you can really tell which is which. And so there's lots of ways of us being able to interpret this parable, but for our purposes, we can continue to explore this idea that we shouldn't jump to conclusions. We shouldn't just look for the simple, quick answers, but we should allow things to grow. We should allow things to develop and trust that as that happens, we'll be able to understand what is right, what is Jesus teaching, and what is not. So that's all the context of what Jesus is saying in the parable that we're looking at today. Matthew 13, verse 31 32. The kingdom of heaven is like this. A man takes a mustard seed and he sows it in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows up, it's the biggest of all plants. It becomes a tree so that birds come and make their nests in its branches. So a very simple parable here. A mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds that we have, this tiny little seed. 
And yet when you plant it, it can grow into this enormous tree. Some mustard trees can grow up to 12 feet tall and they don't necessarily grow as these neat, tidy trees. They often grow as these big brambling bushes that can spread out. And in actual fact, behind the scenes that's going on here a bit, if you just let a mustard tree take over your garden, it will happily do that. That it will just continue to grow and grow and develop and develop. But there's this beautiful picture then of it providing a sense of home, of it pro providing protection for the birds that come. And so Jesus is saying it's not about these big things, it's about little things that start small but can grow into big things. That even from the smallest of tiny seeds, something really significant and profound is able to grow. Something that offers a sense of home, a sense of belonging and a sense of protection to us. So, as we come back to this theme that we're trying to wrestle with through this series about what the kingdom is like, the sort of kingdom that Jesus comes to establish, it's good for us to contrast what Jesus is saying here with our normal expectation of kings and kingdoms. And the best way for us to look at that is to return back to the Christmas narrative and look at the response of Herod. So Herod was the king in Israel when Jesus was born and we know that the wise men came and they saw Herod. And they said, we've come to visit the new king of Israel. Do you know where he is? King Herod, oddly enough, was not very pleased with this news that had been shared with him. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, we read, When King Herod heard about this, he was very upset. I'm sure that's a bit of an understatement. And so was everyone else in Jerusalem, which is interesting. It's not just Herod who has a response to this news. But the understanding is that as rumours about this spread throughout Jerusalem, there's this undercurrent of fear that kicks in, this undercurrent of anxiety. And the reason for that is because when a new king comes, the expectation is that that's not going to be a simple transfer of power. That if there's a new king who's arrived on the scene, that probably means war. That means violence. That means turmoil. That means a revolution is coming and so everyone in Jerusalem freaks out. Oh, great, we're going to have to go through all this. Who knows what's going to happen to us? We then know that Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Egypt to escape the persecution that's coming because Herod is going to do everything that he can to hold on to his power. And we know that then Herod ends up killing all of the kids who are under two in the whole region to make sure that he can stamp this out before it even happens. And that's how kingdoms normally work. That's how kings normally think. Power, ego, protectionism, how do I hold on to my empire? That's what's normal about being a king who is overseeing a kingdom. And yet the kingdom that Jesus comes to establish is not like that at all. It is still a kingdom that's about a revolution, for sure, about the overthrowing of the dominant powers, overthrowing of the dominant culture, overthrowing of the dominant way of life. But it's a revolution that starts with these tiny little seeds that are all about peace, not about violence. Jesus comes to set up this kingdom of peace, life the way that it's supposed to be. Referring back to what we've looked at through this series, that's what God's dream is for us, to experience the kingdom of peace. That's what the welcome home party is all about, that sense of peace, peace in our relationships with the other people around us, a sense of homecoming and belonging. Peace that's about a feast where we get to eat together and be together, where there's a sense of equality and humi humility. 
Peace is not just the absence of conflict, which is what we so often think that it is. But peace, according to Jesus, is this sense of this is right. This is the way things are supposed to be. Everything and everyone in its right place and in right relationships with each other. Now, as an aside, I've been having a chat with a couple of people over the last few weeks about this language of using, particularly when we talk about feasting and eating and parties and all of that sort of language, that we often talk about when we talk about the kingdom or when we talk about images of heaven. And for extroverts, it's a really, really amazing picture. This is fantastic. We're going to get to eat together. There's going to be noise. There's going to be music. There's people everywhere. Unlimited opportunities to have conversations. This is the best thing ever. And for introverts, this is the worst thing ever, the biggest nightmare you can possibly think of. And so this idea of this is what the kingdom is like is terrifying. This idea of this is what heaven is like, I'm not sure that I actually want to end up there because that sounds awful to have people and noise around all the time. Ah, stop it. This is why it's important to use the language of peace as life the way that it's supposed to be and to recognise that God meets all of us where we're at. And so the different images that we have of peace that you thought of earlier, for some of you, a picture of peace is a picture of a feast, a picture of a party, a picture of lots of people around. And for some of you, the picture of peace is by yourself sitting down by the beach or sitting next to the river or going for a walk by yourself. When we define peace as life the way that it's supposed to be, God is big enough to accommodate all of us in his kingdom, in his dream for us. And so introverts, for you, the picture might look more like this. Those quiet moments after dinner, when the food has been eaten, you're sitting there with a very contented, full belly, really, really happy about the fact that people are just together. Those moments of having those meaningful, quiet conversations with someone that's really, really important to you. Those moments where you do get to sit by yourself and just reflect and let all of the thoughts slow down and still. All of those are pictures of the kingdom as well. Those moments where we say, yes, this is right. This is the way that things are supposed to be. The kingdom is not always about these big, dramatic pictures that we sometimes have. But they're also about these little, tiny seeds that can grow into something that's really significant and really profound and have a huge impact. Jesus then tells another parable in the next verse that helps us to understand this a little bit further. He says in verse 33, The kingdom of heaven is like this. A woman takes some yeast and mixes it with a bushel of flour until the whole batch of dough rises. And again, it's this same idea. It's not something big and dramatic, but the idea about just a little tiny bit of yeast can work its way through the whole dough and cause transformation to happen, cause change to happen. And bread doesn't become bread without that little bit of yeast that changes everything. So this kingdom that Jesus comes to establish, God's dream for us, is like a tiny little seed that grows into a huge tree, like a little bit of yeast that works its way through the dough. But the seeds that are there are all about peace, life the way that it's supposed to be. And Jesus comes to establish a kingdom where we get to experience that in the here and now. Not just something we have to wait for, but something that we can experience as we head into this week. 
And so I'd love for us to reflect on this as we do head into Christmas week. This question that we've used throughout this series to reflect on. How does the King of Peace reshape my expectations? Throughout this series, we've looked at the different elements of what sort of kingdom Jesus came to establish. And so with Jesus being the King of Peace, how does that reshape my expectations? And particularly as we head into this week, what does it look like for us to be people who are sowing seeds of the kingdom, sowing seeds of God's dream, sowing seeds of peace? Because every time that we take the time to be able to just give someone a call or send someone a message to say, hey, I'm thinking of you. And especially as we head into this week, where we know that there are lots of people who will feel their sense of loneliness, will feel their sense of isolation, this week is an opportunity for us to sow seeds of the kingdom by just giving someone a quick call and say, hey, I'm thinking of you, I hope you have a great Christmas. Or sending someone a message to say, I'm praying for you with what you're going through this year. Those are seeds of the kingdom. Every time we choose to encourage someone to say, I believe in you. I can't believe that you're so great at this that you did. I so appreciate the ways in which you do these things. That's sowing seeds of peace. Sowing seeds of the kingdom. Every time we believe the best in our relationships with other people, especially when others make mistakes, especially when things don't go necessarily the way that we expect. And as we head into Christmas week, we know that in some of our family dynamics, some of that stuff will come to the surface. Every time that we choose to believe the best, to see other people the way that Jesus sees them, every time we choose to forgive, every time we choose to not overreact, those are sowing seeds of peace sowing seeds of the kingdom. Every time we choose love instead of hatred, every time we choose to respond in a different way, especially to the hard things that happen in our lives, we're sowing seeds of peace. And those seeds of peace can grow into significant things that cause transformation in our relationships, in our families, in our friendship circles, in our relationships with our neighbours, in our whole neighbourhoods, even as far as our city, and our country and the world. These little tiny seeds can end up making such a massive difference. So as we head into this week, I want to encourage you to be thinking about that. What are the seeds that you can sow as we go into Christmas week? And as we wrap up our series, we end talking about these four themes that Jesus came to establish in our lives. Hope, love, joy and peace. God's dream for us. The welcome home party where we're told you belong. The invitation to come and be a part of the feast. The challenge to be able to be people who sow little tiny seeds of peace. Who weave just a little bit of yeast into the dough. We recognise that Jesus' arrival this week allows the kingdom to come now. These are not things that we have to wait for when we pass from this life into the next. We have the opportunity this week to experience the kingdom because of the arrival of our newborn king. That's what we'll have the privilege of being able to celebrate as we head into Christmas this week. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you that you came to establish a kingdom of peace. All of us in our own ways yearn and long for peace. We long for life the way that we know that it's supposed to be. 
where we have a healthy, complete relationship with you, where we're in healthy, complete relationships with the people around us, where we live at peace with the creation that you have given to us and entrusted to us. All of us yearn for that sense of peace that's about so much more than there's not just fighting going on. That sense of peace that penetrates to the depths of who we are where we say this is what life is supposed to be all about. All of us yearn for that and long for that and that's because you've planted that deep within us and we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that your arrival as the newborn king comes to establish a kingdom, but a kingdom that is completely upside down, a kingdom that's not about violence, that's not about power, that's not about overthrowing through big acts, but is about these little tiny seeds that just get planted in all sorts of different places and end up gradually growing into something that makes a huge difference about yeast that works its way through the dough and causes all of it to change and transform. We yearn for that experience in our lives, that you would plant these seeds of the kingdom inside of us so that we can continue to grow into the people that you want us to be. But we also long for that in the community around us, that we can be people who sow these seeds in all the different places that we go so that we can see your kingdom established here on earth as you called us to pray. And so as we head into this week, as we get ready to celebrate your birth, we thank you that we don't just celebrate the arrival of a baby, as significant as that is, that you come to us in human form. But we celebrate the arrival of a newborn king. So I ask that you would help us as we go through this week to reflect on the implications of that in our lives, in our relationships, and all the different circles that we walk. In your name we pray. Amen.